With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up, we're going to react to another disappointing Premier League result. Another home defeat for Manchester United against Arsenal, no less. It's hard. It was tricky. And that was just the opening half hour. As usual, to help me rule the roost and figure out what's going on at Manchester United, I'm joined by my fellow strike partner, Mr. Laurie Whittle. Laurie, how are you doing? I'm good, Carl. Thank you. Uh, Old Trafford was a, a different, uh, you know, sort of approach uh, to the game on, on Wednesday night against Leipzig, um, for, you know, for the Arsenal game. So uh, it's, it's wildly different performances, but we'll get into that, I'm sure. One step forward, two steps back. But before we get into it, I have to introduce the other gentlemanly guest we have on this podcast. I met him at the FA Youth Cup semi-finals on Friday, and he was in great spirits. Made me a very good cup of tea. He is contributing writer to The Athletic and Unite We Stand editor. It's Mr. Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you? Hi, Carl. Okay, nice to see you on Friday. Shame that result in the FA Youth Cup didn't go United's way with Chelsea winning, but Chelsea have been the best youth team. Uh, they've won the FA Youth Cup seven times in the last 10 years, and I think United are improving. But as a couple of the coaches said to me, we'll have more lads out of our team and make it to our first team than, than Chelsea will. So I show, I'm sure we're not going to talk too much about the FA Youth Cup and more about a game against another team from London, so away you go. Right then, listen, before we get started, remember we have plenty of Manchester United writing over on The Athletic right now. We're covering the team's past, present and future. Access is currently just £1 per week, so all you have to do is go over to theathletic.com slash pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com slash pod to sign up. Let's get into an incredibly dour Sunday defeat. Manchester United nil, Arsenal won. Uh, Arsenal have won their first away win against a member of the, air quotes, top six for the first time in more than five years. It's their first victory at Old Trafford in 14 years. Uh, Manchester United now have just taken one point from their opening four home matches. Um, they've failed to win on their first four home matches for the first time since 1972. Those are some bad stats. Laurie, you are at Old Trafford on Sunday. Was the game that bad? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were all sort of wondering uh, what on earth was happening sort of first half an hour, 45 minutes, um, given the way that United had equipped themselves against Leipzig and the fact that it was same formation. I know you have rightly had doubts about the diamond formation and it looked like actually maybe this could work, you know, against the Bundesliga leaders in the Champions League, you know, the top level of club football. Um, but then it really didn't against Arsenal. I think because Arsenal came with a plan clearly to to stifle that system, um, Gabriel and Rob Holding did a really good job on Greenwood and Rashford following them deep into, you know, sort of, you know, United's half, really. Well, United's middle third, at least. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously 
they picked up a couple of bookings early, you know, sort of half an hour, and you're thinking, actually, can United get at them now? And and I think that's the big disappointment that United didn't manage to find the right moments to attack those defenders who were on bookings. I know that Gabriel could have been sent off second half um, for that sort of foul on Greenwood, but it was a, a sort of momentary, uh, you know, occurrence really. It wasn't like it was a, a building momentum against against those two guys, and just the way that the wing backs tucked in, you know, uh, sort of basically nullifying McTominay and Pogba on the sort of flanks of midfield and, and, and the way that Lacazette did a number on Fred. It was a, a stifling performance from Arsenal. So I want to give Arsenal credit for that. That being mm-hmm. said, I don't think they were that I don't think they were that great offensively. You know, it took Paul Pogba's, you know, another moment of um, you know, poor judgment on Hector Bellerin to give away again a soft penalty. I, I, at the time, we, we saw it happening. You know, it's right by the side where we're sat in, in the press box, um, and you know, I, I, in my head, I was thinking, "Don't make that tackle, don't make that," because you could see it happening. It was it wasn't very fast at the moment. It was kind of in almost slow mo. Sticks the leg out, falls over. I'm like, "That's obviously a penalty." In watching the replay, it is really minimal contact. It's a bit like the Salah one. Um, that he got against West Ham, where you know feels the feels the touch goes down, but I suppose in the world that we're in, that's that is a penalty. I know that Arsenal perhaps had a couple more Saka, you know, the headed chance, but then Maguire had a headed chance. I think I think really the teams were even, and a nil nil probably would have been a fair enough result in the end. But ultimately, it looks like another performance where United didn't create much, which at home has been a recurring theme. Whilst they might have at least shored up the defence after the Spurs debacle, this was you know another case of you know not being able to create enough, not being able to have enough variety. And I think the most disappointing thing was actually the second half when there was no momentum built. There was no kind of semblance of a plan as to how United were going to attack Arsenal's goal. And, and when Arsenal were sitting back, you know, they had opportunities to get it wide. They, they weren't taken, or at least there weren't the offers of, of getting it wide from the fullbacks frequent enough, or at least the trust. I mean, Luke Shaw's crossing actually has, has got better. I don't know if Alex Tellers has been giving him <laughs> a few tips on the training ground, but these crosses were decent. So I would have liked to see him get in those positions more and, and, and try Cavani, who, you know, was pretty ineffectual when he came on I was surprised at the substitutions leaving Paul Pogba on and, and taking Mason Greenwood off because you know Greenwood can always get you a goal you know that he's got that finishing ability and, and that chance in the first half was a case in point where it was a really controlled shot on the angle from Rashford's really good ball so uh, yeah just a, another kind of well just disappointing display really that may, leaves you thinking that there's, 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 there's problems here that, that need solving albeit for United being so good in the Champions League This is a very curious one Manchester United now- 15th in the league uh, even a victory in this now if they beat Everton next week in this topsy-turvy Premier League they can only really rise up to 11th Roy Keane was on Sky saying this group of players will cost Ollie his job after the game uh, Andy Laurie just said Arsenal had a plan did Manchester United lack one? I think they had one with that diamond formation I think it was pretty clear cut it just didn't work it's worked in other games and I concur with much of what Laurie said. United were pretty ineffective right from the start. They were very poor in the first half. The tempo picked up a little bit after half-time, but there was a complete shortage of chances. The best moment of the game was probably a pass. So that just shows what we're comparing against and and how poor it was. And in isolation, I think you can handle a 1-0 defeat at home to a top club, albeit a club who struggled against other top clubs. Although the game at Arsenal on New Year's Day, that was an equally poor Manchester United showing. The problem is it's not in isolation. 
in the last six home games, United have failed to win one of them in the league. And that, that is dreadful for a club of United stature. It's absolutely atrocious. Why do you think there's something at Old Trafford at Premier, in the Premier League that United have a hoodoo? I saw that Ollie said he didn't think it was psychological. I think part of it is psychological. I don't think the fans would accept the type of games that have been played in the last three league matches at Old Trafford or even the Palace game at the start of the season. The fans just wouldn't have accepted um, such a pedestrian, prosaic performance as we, we have seen. They would be urging the team forward. They would be getting on the managers back to make changes. And I think that would have influenced the game. To what percentage? Well, that's entirely subjective. I think that the, the manager does have a problem. And one of the problems is that Whereas Manchester United used to be full of experienced winners. Now, what you've got De Gea who won the league, you've got Phil Jones who doesn't play, and then you've got a collection of other players who don't know what it's like to have the drive that, that Roy Keane had. And Roy Keane, and I spoke to him many times when he was at United, he was always about looking forward. He was absolutely driven. He could have beaten Liverpool 5-0 the previous day and he didn't care. He was just so focused on winning, winning, winning. To, to a fault and maybe those faults came out when Roy became manager and maybe become manager again. I saw him at Salford City on Saturday and again he was at Old Trafford yesterday so he's watching a lot of football and he does get very emotional when he talks but listen he was one of the best free midfielders in the world. He, he, he was a man who could change games and when I look at other players and I'll, I'll pick out Paul Pogba not because I want to single him out but he's a senior player He's a World Cup winner and his performances have been so far short of the expected level that he just disappoints, consistently disappoints. And that's because he's such a, a talented player, but he was anonymous. I mean, the whole midfield were yesterday, and this is the other baffling thing. How can Fred be so good at Old Trafford against Leipzig on the Wednesday and so bad against Arsenal on the Sunday? Scott McTominay was vocal. He was the one before the game. Come on, lads, let's go before the first half, before the second half, again in the 75th minute. But he didn't go himself, and neither did his teammates. He was pretty ineffective. And Arsenal did a number on United. They dominated in the middle like Tottenham did. They uh, attacked down the left more, I thought, towards Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who was uncharacteristically clumsy in the first half. Luke Shaw, I agree with what's been said. I think he's been playing well, Shaw, actually, pushing forward. I think Lindelof has really turned it round as well. I thought he was United's best player. I don't have concerns about David De Gea. Um, he's, it, the focus isn't on, on him now. Lack of leaders, lack of characters, there's these same reoccurring themes, lack of winners, and this inconsistency leads people like Roy Keane to say these players will cost the manager the job. I don't believe he's going to lose his job this week or next week, but if Manchester United stay mid-table, the pressure will intensify. Yes, winning the Champions League would be a get-out-of-jail card, those wins in Paris and against Leipzig were incredible and surprising as well, but there has to be consistency. And there are good players there who are really good midweek and atrocious at the weekend, and they can't escape the criticism which comes their way. That said, it's been a pretty decent uh, period since lockdown, but that home form is seriously worrying in the league. It is a major, major problem now. Here's what I saw watching the game on television. Um, so where previously the diamond formation was so effective against Red Bull, I shouldn't even say Red Bull, Rasselball Sport Leipzig, 
Um, there were a bit, so there were some changes in the league. So with Anthony Martial suspended, uh, the diamond was fronted by strikers in Mason Greenwood and Marcus Rashford. Both fine strikers can get shots off, really, really good running to space, but aren't necessarily the best with their back towards goal. With Arsenal and their two very mobile central defenders penning in Manchester United, Manchester United desperately needed a striker that can hold the ball up and allow a little bit of space for the other striker to run into. This begs a question why wasn't Cavani introduced a bit earlier, but we don't know about the extent of his match fitness or ability to play 90 minutes yet. Uh, there were also a little bit of changes in the midfield diamond. So against Leipzig, uh, the person at the base of the diamond was Scott McTominay. Scott McTominay, quite mobile, can tackle, runs around quite a bit. Uh, not the best passer. Against Arsenal, the person at the base of the midfield diamond was Fred. Fred, not so good at tackling, is improving as he's getting used to English football. But his big thing is surprising other midfielders and nicking the ball when they're not paying attention. His passing is not the best, especially when it's a trickier pass. With Fred at the base of midfield, of the midfield diamond, United couldn't quite build up in the same way they did against Leipzig. There was also the, the I'd say, not the issue, but Paul Pogba was playing quite wide left in the first half, especially. So it wasn't so much a midfield diamond, but more a triangle and Pogba playing left midfield. This worked against Leipzig because Pogba was playing with requisite intensity. But for baffling reasons, Pogba couldn't quite match the levels he played on Wednesday. And that was it, really. United were penned in for the most part of half an hour. And once Arsenal took the league, one thing that perhaps hasn't been said about Manchester United and recent successes in Europe is that United hadn't gone a goal behind against PSG or against Leipzig. Uh, and now we're seeing Solskjaer's thought processes when they do go a goal behind, which were slightly concerning. Laurie, you did the press conference afterwards. Are there any positives to this game? How was Solskjaer after this game? Well, as we've sort of known from a, for a long time, Solskjaer you know, can present a very calm, uh, composed figure after a game, you know, after a defeat like this. Um he, he didn't rage or, or rant or anything like that. I mean, he, he you know he criticised Pogba for the fact that you know he knows he should have stayed on his feet. It's a soft pen to give away. Um, he should have shuffled Hector Bellerin down to the touchline, and it would have been you know sort of chance snuffed out. I mean, that being said, United didn't have possession for two minutes before um, that penalty, so the, the pressure was you know mounting in a in a kind of way that would be you know alarming really. So I don't think it's you know Pogba has, has got this weird. You know, habit now, which you know, I think he needs to just cut out. He, he spoke about it after the game, you know, and, and held his hands up. But you know, the West Ham, the handball, um, obviously against Spurs, the, the tackle on Ben Davis was was just remarkable uh, for the wrong reasons. Uh, and also, obviously, he escaped sanction against Aaron Connolly uh, against Brighton, which could easily have been a penalty in its own right as well. So this that's a worry that that shouldn't be happening when you when you're 27 years old and have won a World Cup to be making those kind of aberrations. Um, Solskjaer, the other thing he did, he, he was. You know, it was put to him about Roy Keane's comments, and it's a funny dynamic between those two, isn't it? Because they are friends, right? I mean, Andy, you know this. You know, they they do you know get on, and, and they are friends. But but Keane has now a couple of times spoken about Ollie losing his job, which is usually the sort of act, or at least the the pronouncement of somebody that isn't necessarily familiar or, or particularly on side. I mean, I guess his point is that you know he, he's he's very much aiming the uh, the sort of criticism at the players rather than the manager in this regard. So you know th- these. Are players that will make you lose your job and maybe he you know is, is just wanting to illustrate that clearly that 
um, that is the kind of jeopardy that we're dealing with here. But Oli, you know, in response to that, he didn't he didn't come back at, at Keane. He wasn't a sniping comment like he did do with Robbie Van Persie when Van Persie sort of criticised Solskjaer for smiling after the Arsenal defeat uh, in New on New Year's Day. Um, he basically agreed with him, said there was no tackles, no fighting. You have to create that atmosphere yourself. It goes touched on what you sort of said there, Andy, about players having to you know perform in front of um, empty stadiums, which is a weird experience. It's you know it's, we've said this before. It's increasingly a, an alien environment but nevertheless you know footballers should have responsibility to perform um sort of whatever the conditions really and and you know united did do that behind closed doors last season so they can't sort of use that too much as an excuse this season um but he he just said he was just really disappointed uh, with the performance so listen it's now his responsibility to get that team into a place where they can respond positively they have done that in previous times and I know you and I, Carl, were speaking beforehand, weren't we, about what do you do with Pogba in this situation? And we kind of think, I don't know what you think, Andy, but, you know, the the cameo role that he'd kind of produced, you know, coming on um, against PSG, coming on uh, late in the game, um, you know, against Chelsea and and perhaps doing a specific tailored job against Leipzig is the way forward for him this season. Pogba's done well when he's come on. I don't know whether that's partly because the shock of being dropped and it's been pretty bold of Ole Gunnar to drop Paul Pogba, but he came on and did well in Paris. He set the goal up. But when I got to Paris, he was the front page news. This was the perceived star of Manchester United. And then when he didn't start the game, people in the press box in Paris were asking, why is Pogba? Is he injured? What's what's the issue here? I think when Roy, who does get on very well with Ole Gunnar, uh, the, there's no sacred cows with, with Roy. He will criticise uh, anyone, including Ole Gunnar, and he'll say it to the face as well. And maybe Ollie didn't go back at Roy Keane because he doesn't live that far away from him. And <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I actually have got a lot of time for for Roy's comments. As a journalist, he's absolutely fascinating to to interview. But he picked out Marcus Rashford yesterday, and something you picked on, Carl, and I've said it several times: Marcus playing with his back to goal doesn't mm. work. He's mm. far more effective mm-hmm. on the half turn. His coaches know that. He's well aware of that. So why do we see these big drop offs where? On, on Wednesday, he's so effective. And then yesterday, where he's playing quite far apart from Mason Greenwood, um, he, he wasn't anything like as effective. I couldn't see where United were getting a goal from yesterday afternoon. Right from the start, there was just this weird um, feeling that, oh no, it's one of them games again. You, you, there's, there's like a tension, even though there's no fans there, where you know it's going to end badly. It's as if United do need to score first to have the confidence. And one thing I've said a lot is, this team is inconsistent and will continue to be so until it's strengthened. But how long will Ole Gunnar have? You know, people say to me, this is this team's two years off uh, being consistent enough to challenge for the league title. I can't see another two years of United losing home games like this. It's just not good enough. It's good enough in, in Europe. But it's not good enough in, in, in the league at the moment. I can provide the tiniest bit of silver lining. Is that Anthony Martial will be back for Manchester United's game on Saturday against Everton. So maybe that will help Rashford and give a bit more verb. Verb? Verge. Verge? What? <laughs> verb. Zhuzhing up Manchester United's attack. <laughs> no, no. Say, you can keep the verb. Verge. Verge. Keep, keep, keep the whole mess. I did that. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Moving on to other Manchester United matters. Laurie, I hear you've had an impact substitute role coming in for David Ornstein's <laughs> Monday column. Uh, you've got a really interesting tidbit from Manchester United here regarding their links to AC Milan's Hakan Chahanalu. Laurie, what can you tell us about this AC Milan player who likes a shot from long range? On this particular issue, um, I'm just told that uh, there are you know, reports of, of talks going on, but um, I think the extent of it really is that um, the agent put a call into Matt Judge, obviously United's chief negotiator, um, to say that he would be available for a free transfer next summer because his contract's um, up. Um, and then you know, the response really was not one for us. Um, United have uh, a number of number 10 options, really, probably too many. So uh, we can part that one for the time being. And there's sort of a suspicion, I suppose, from those inside Old Trafford is that uh, this could help the player possibly get a new contract or get a move elsewhere. We know it's happened before with, with other players. I know Andy's very familiar with one player in particular that um, that happened with. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of the, the long and short of it. But I thought it was worth a little item in, in uh, the column this week. Also, last week, you had a little tidbit about uh, Haaland still being on Manchester United's radar, which leads me to picture what the Borussia Dortmund group chat must look like with Sancho. <laughs> two items of sad news coming out of Old Trafford this weekend concerning two Manchester United legends. Um, so Bobby Charlton has been diagnosed with dementia and the death of Nobby Styles on Friday. Uh, for many people listening, Andy, uh, could you tell us a little bit about Nobby Styles, the player and the man? the only Mancunian to win both the World and European Cup. Yeah, Nobby was a top man and people will have known that he's been poorly for, for quite a while. I interviewed him lots of times. I'm not old enough to remember seeing him play, but it was passed down stories from older generations. And I worked with Paddy Crerand on his autobiography. And when I heard of, of Nobby's passing on Friday, I just looked at some of the stories that Paddy had told me. Uh, I'll read a quick one. Footballing ability apart, Nobby had nothing going for him, said Paddy. He was tiny and couldn't see the other side of a room without contact lenses. Uh, Nobby made all the mistakes you could ever make because of his poor eyesight. I once saw him tuck a tablecloth into his trousers rather than a napkin at a posh London hotel. And when he got up to go to the toilet, he took half the table with him. The lenses he used were not like the ones we have now. Nobby's looked like gobstoppers and used to make me feel sick when he put them in before a game. Now Paddy tells that with absolute affection and they were fighting partners sometimes on and even off uh, the pitch. Nobby was very close friends with um, Sir Bobby Charlton. I think Nobby will be remembered as a, a Manchester United great. As you said, the only Mancunian to win the European Cup and, and the World Cup and condolences to his family. So I've done quite a few jobs with his son, uh, John, who's a very good after dinner speaker and it's just really sad and I think you've seen by the reaction since his passing the esteem in which he's been been held in the football world. Coming up to some final order of business on this week's episode uh, Andy as I said at the top of the podcast we had a good little conversation at the FA Youth Cup. Um, you're here there and everywhere at the moment and um, I understand you're off to Istanbul this week. I am. I'm going for the game. Uh, the flights are booked. Ten minutes after I booked my flight, it was cancelled. So maybe British Airways knew about there not being a flight when they took my money. So I'm going a day later. Uh, I really like Istanbul as a city. I'm going there to do my job um, and, and to watch uh, United. And I think it's an important game. My first trip to Istanbul, 
definitely didn't leave an impression where I would be saying I really like Istanbul because I was um, deported, locked up in a prison cell and uh, didn't see Manchester United against Galatasaray. Uh, and I was there with a hundred and... That was in 1993. Um, 164 of us were, were locked up. We'd done nothing wrong. We were held in a prison cell for 24 hours and we were deported and we missed out on probably the greatest atmosphere that's ever been at a Manchester United game, according to the fans who did get in and the players. I've been back to Istanbul many times. I love watching football there. The atmosphere stands out in Turkey, uh, whether it's a Besiktas, uh, Fenerbahce, Galatasaray, and this is a new one now. This is uh, the upstart team, the, the current Turkish champions, but th there's going to be no fans at the match. So I'm going to go there and try and do my job and then... Um, Hopefully United will get a third successive win in the Champions League. Given that it's midweek, um, they're probably going to win quite easily. And then I just more worry about what's going to happen at the weekend. Do you not feel the same, Laurie? Isn't it mad how midweek the team are fine, but at weekends <laughs> it all just falls apart? Would I suppose that's the question. Would you take United you know, finishing even, I don't know, mid-table and winning the Champions League this season? I'd have that all day long. Yeah, Absolutely no same. problem. And if, <laughs> and if people say you just like Liverpool in 2005, I don't care. <laughs> the Champions League is bigger than the Premier League. It's just risky because it's a knockout cup competition. But you know, Ole Gunnar, he's, he's got, he does well in it. I've just Even against Barcelona the last time United were knocked out of the competition, the first nine minutes were fantastic in camp now. <laughs> and then it all sort of faded, you know. But <laughs> I think it'd be extremely risky just to go all out to win the Champions League this year and finish 14th. Although, United went down. Part of me wouldn't mind going, if fans are allowed back, to all these different grounds around the country. <laughs> I just Older Reds talk really fondly about watching United in the second mm. division and taking 15,000 to York and to Cardiff. Mm. Um, I don't want United to go down, but there'd definitely be a, a silver lining there. Mm. There you have it. Listeners, Talk of the Devils, the podcast where you can find out the transfer news and also about a time where one of our correspondents was put in a Turkish prison. <laughs> Oops. And we also had a little conversation on Friday about uh, a bike ride you did a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, cycled from Barcelona to Manchester with um, my brothers and a couple of mates. Took 17 days. Uh, it's two years since my father passed away. And we did the bike ride to buy an ambulance for the hospice and Anne's in Salford where he died. And our target was £40,000 to buy the ambulance. And we ended up going way, way over that. So today I'm going to the, the sister hospice, which is in Cheadle, and which ironically is where my uncle Charlie played for United in the 40s and 50s. He, he passed away in 2002. And we've got a second ambulance. Uh, Barmy Kev, who's a really well-known United fan, he raised a further £15,000 by uh, doing the coast-to-coast. -coast. So we're, we're providing two ambulances for the people of Manchester. Although United were brilliant when we did it. Um, Andy Cole came up from London to meet us at Old Trafford at the end of the ride. Ryan Giggs did to abuse me. Gary Neville did to abuse me. <laughs> Where's all your weight going? You look like a skeleton. And as soon as the cameras came round, oh, it's great what Andy and the lads have done. It's really inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> and Gary was even more abusive, but I better not say that on here. But Liverpool gave us Andy Robertson's um, shirt from Madrid, where I think they won a trophy. And that raised £5,000. <laughs> and the scouser who bid for it, I said to him, look, this is a great amount of money. 
do you want to come to Old Trafford? Do you want to come and meet Giggs and, and Neville and Cole? And he just said, no, why on earth would I want to do that? He said, I want the shirt. And uh, City gave us a Guerrero shirt as well. It didn't raise quite as much as Andy Robertson's did. Um, but yeah, we United were great. They opened up Old Trafford for us when we got back and put a load of food on. And it was, it was brilliant. I told my dad we were going to do it before he died. And he said, well, can't you go through France, the bits where all the nice girls are. I said, Dad, you know, the Costa the Azor is not on the way between Barcelona and Manchester. Well, what about the mountains? Well, what do you want me to do, Dad? Move the Pyrenees out the way. But yeah, we, we did it. We got the money and 1,100 people sponsored us. And that was, that was a sign of you know, social media being used for, for real good. And it was very hard. I didn't enjoy the cycling, if I'm honest, but, but we did it. And we get to see the fruits of the cycling today with those two new ambulances. That'll be a wonderful sight. Uh, and thank you so much for your work. I'll be your correspondent for the game against Istanbul Bashikshir this week. Uh, and then Laurie will be covering Manchester United playing at Goodison Park against Everton on the weekend. Some big games before the international break. Yes, there is another international break coming. Uh, but hopefully you can uh, stay with us on this podcast as we go through what should be two Manchester United wins. Uh, other than that, it's thank you from me. Thank you from Laurie. Thanks, guys. Cheers for listening, everybody. Thanks from Andy as well. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Laurie. And that's another episode of Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. We'll see you sometime next week. Goodbye. Thank you.